I don't know about this men's camp, whether I want to go or not. You got to remember, I'm a redneck from Idaho. <clears throat> and I should tell you that uh, the push-up contest was, was Josh's idea. <laughs> Guys, you'll thank me. I put the kibosh to it. And I'll talk to Josh about his level of honesty. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. In fact, I should tell you that I have just enjoyed every person on the staff. Uh, Josh and I have hit it off, and uh, uh, we are, we've become good friends. Don't you love that picture? Uh, I was, uh, my, my granddaughter was, my wife says she thinks about three. And uh, I was walking up the driveway one day with my hands behind my back and my granddaughter Delena thought she should do the same thing. So uh, uh, she's now 14 and the driveway looks better than that, I might add. Uh, she graduated from the eighth grade last week and uh, I've come to realize that time never stops, does it? It keeps going, uh, no matter what kind of dad we are, no matter what kind of granddad we are, time keeps going. Someone has said being a dad is expensive, time-consuming, frustrating, expensive, time-consuming, frustrating, confusing, and emotionally draining. It's a little bit like playing golf which I don't do, I might add. Uh, I want to say that what I'm going to say this morning is for dads, of course, but uh, anybody can learn from this. Uh, if you're a mom, you can practice these same things. If you're a young person hoping to be a parent someday, uh, now's the time to learn. I wish somebody had told me this stuff 50 years ago because I would have, uh, it would have been an easier thing for me as a dad and my family would have loved it a whole lot more, I think. So, uh, listen to this. Don't worry that your kids never listen to you. Worry that they are always watching you. From the day that your little child first puts on your great big shoes and comes tromping out in the living room and you laugh and everybody has fun, to the day you die, they are watching you, and they want to know how you act. They want to know how you respond. They want to know how you're going to deal with the stresses of life. And how you deal with them, frankly, is going to be how they're going to deal with them. So this morning, I would like to give you five things, simple things, 
Um, some of them have scripture attached to them. Some of them are just plain, downright common sense. And I want you to see how you and I can be better parents, better grandparents, and um, how we can motivate young people to function in the world in which they live. Here's the first one. Give the greatest honor to those you love the most. Give the greatest honor to those you love the most. I think somehow we have mixed up the whole etiquette issue. I think somehow uh, we've kind of fouled up how we should act. For instance... There are some things I would never do in your presence. Uh, now, I love God, I love my family, and I love you. That means you're at the end of the road, see? Uh, you're at the tail end. But there's some things I would never think about doing in your presence that I do in the presence of my wife and children. All the time. There are some things that I would never think of doing in the presence of a total stranger, but I will do them or say them in the presence of my family, the people that I love the most. And the first principle I want to give you this morning is give the greatest honor to those you love the most. You know, last week I told you that. Carolyn and I have a weekly meeting. It's kind of a religious thing with us. And I told you one of the questions that I ask her. Well, there's another question that I've been asking her over the years. And it goes like this. Is there anything I do that you don't like? Yeah. See, it's at this point that the burping went away. And that other thing we do. What I'm trying to communicate to you is why would I do something in the presence of the people I love the most that I would never think of doing in the presence of a stranger? And I give you the same passage of Scripture that we had last week from Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit is the word for pride. In this case, there's other words for pride. This one is used only here in the New Testament. It's the only place it's used. And what he's trying to communicate there is that if I'm going to be full of pride, it's going to be hard to get along with people around me, even in my own family. In, uh, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. The word that he uses there means to excel, to surpass. In some translations, you will find the word superior in there. Consider other people superior to myself. So if I think about my wife and my children 
and my grandchildren, I want to consider them to be superior to me. And then he goes on to say, each of you should look not only at his own interests, but at the interests of others. And last week I told you, circle the word look, used twice in the book of Philippians, six times in the New Testament. It's the Greek word skopeo. It comes from the Greek word skopos, from which we get our English word scope. And it means literally to magnify, bring in close. So this idea is the idea that I bring Carolyn's interests into me closer than I have my own interests close to me. And once that begins to take place, suddenly I have to realize that I'm going to give the greatest honor to those people that I love the most. Let me give you four ways to do that. The first one is this. Start by giving honor to God. Who you care about the most tells the most about you. Who you care about the most tells us most who you are and what you are like. And if everybody knows that nothing is more important to you than God is, that's a good place to start. If your children see you pray, if your children know, don't try to get your kids to have daily devotions. Just do it, and they'll follow. If, if, if your kids watch you walk with God and honor God, if they see you fellowship with the body, they will fellowship with the body. So pray. Have devotions. Uh, go to church. Give some of what God has given to you. Give it back to God. And in the process of all of that, your children are watching. So give God first honor. The second thing is make the commitment to build security. You need to build security in your children from the first time that that little kid jumps off the edge of the pool into your arms, they know daddy's going to catch them. There's security there. Let me tell you what is the best way to build security in your children, men. The most important thing you can do to build security in your children is to love their mother. Now, I know there are some Families, some couples who say, oh, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want our kids to see us hug and kiss and, and those kinds of things. And I've always said, that's precisely what I want my kids to see. Carolyn and I have always been uh, touchy, huggy, kissy, more so sometimes than she likes. But the fact is, is that our kids knew that this relationship was solid and that it was never going any place. By the way, Friday of this week, Carolyn and I will be married 50 years. Thank you. She gets all the credit. Uh, 
I've often said I've been married to this lady for 50 years. I've never considered divorce once. Suicide and murder, (laughs) but never divorce. And I'm kidding, of course. You know. (laughs) The next thing is um, to honor them by offering verbal praise. Uh, You know, we always tell our kids, you did good. That's a good grade. You played a good game. But there comes a point, all of a sudden, about ten years ago, I realized I wasn't talking to my children in this way. Our daughter is 49 now. Our son is 45. And I walked up to my son, and I put my hands on his shoulders, and I looked up into his face, and I said, Rick, I want you to know I'm really proud of you. And he looked down and said, Dad, thanks. I've been always wondering about that. No, no. But it's a good thing, even as adult children, for us to give them verbal praise. For us to say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you become. And let me say that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. There's always something that you can be proud of your child for. And then, finally, honor means protecting them. And that means that sometimes... You may have to go to school and talk to a teacher or go and speak to a coach and protect that child from that individual, whoever they may be. Here's the second thing. Learn to appreciate the natural strengths and abilities of each child in your life, of each person in your life. Let me give you a startling piece of information. When God gives you children, they are not blanks. God gives them personalities. God gives them natural talents. God gives you people. And all of those things are not formed yet. You may be able to tweak them a little bit as you go through their life with them. But they're not blanks. And then as they get saved, God will add to their natural talents spiritual gifts. And one of the things that we as parents need to do is discover what those talents and gifts are and teach them and enable them to nurture those things so that they do well at them. You may have a child who's not an academic, and you need to channel that child someplace where he can be hands-on. You may have a child that is truly an academic, and you want to channel them into an education that would make them an academic. Some children are athletic, some are not. Some men like the manly stuff, some men like the other stuff. So the result is, is that we need to discover that. And how do you do that? Because it's complicated. It's time-consuming. 
There's lots of ways to do this. I'm going to give you four simple ones today. But there's lots of ways to do this because it's complicated. It takes an investment. It takes energy. Here's the first thing I would say. You may have a child who is a lion. That means this is a take charge kind of person. This is the kind of person that when something needs to be done, they're going to do it. You come to them with an issue or a problem, and it will be no time at all, and you have a solution. I have one of those, I might add. And uh, uh, this person, my daughter, is she is a take charge kind of person. And so uh, you might have a lion on your hands. The next one is a, a beaver. That's, that's a good one, isn't it? A beaver is the kind of person that does things right and by the book. And uh, there's a certain point at which we want all of our children to go by the book. But there's a certain point where some of them get that naturally. And the third one is the otter. And the otter is an excitable, fun-seeking, cheerleading kind of person. Sometimes we get grandkids like that. I've got a couple of them. They never stop. They're constantly going. And the fourth one, finally, is the golden retriever. That's the loyal person. I have one of those, too. And uh, uh, the loyal person... And, and when you see those kinds of talents, you channel them. Now, there's multitudes of other instruments available. There's multitudes of other ways to discover who these kids are. But that would be a good thing to do. Here's the third thing. Develop the ability to communicate meaningfully. Develop the ability to communicate meaningfully. This becomes a problem in every home. A battlefield can turn into a place of growth if we take the time to communicate properly. I wish I could tell you how many times in 40 years of ministry, people, couples have come in and sat down in front of my desk and I say, tell me, what's the problem? They say, we're just not communicating. A lot of times that will lead to other places. But the fact is, the biggest problem in marriage today is the inability of two people to talk to each other. And communication becomes a problem. See, most problems in marriage are because people can't talk to each other. General George Patton said, information is like fresh eggs. The fresher, the better. And people communicate differently. Carolyn, for example, is a writer. Uh, if you want to know what she's thinking, read something that she writes. She writes out all of her prayers. She prays one or two hours a day. And she writes every one of them out. We have bookshelves full of her prayer journals. She even has a code. If she dies someday and 
people are going to read her prayer journals and there's stuff she doesn't want them to read. She's got a code that she uses to make sure that they can't see what she was praying about that day. Uh, and sometimes Carolyn and I would get in one of those discussions. You know, you call them discussions. I call them arguments. And I would say to Carolyn, I would say, honey, let's come back to this in a couple of days. And in the meantime, you go someplace and write down your thoughts, what you're thinking. And then we'll talk about it again. And she would come back and she would show it to me and the lights would come on because she communicates when she writes. And see, I'm, I'm a preacher. So every once in a while she'd say, why are you hollering at me? I'm not hollering, I'm just preaching. So the result is, is that we need to learn to communicate well. How do you do that? Well, you can do that with repetition. I wish I had a, I wish I had a nickel for every time I said to one of my kids, so what you're saying is, and they say, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. And they say it again. And I say, well, what you mean to say is this. And they say, Dad, you finally got it. So repetition is a good thing. Me say it back to them, them say it to me again. Sometimes I would purposely say what you're saying is the wrong thing so that they would have to say it again. And the second way is illustration. By now you know me. You know I love illustration. You know I love to tell stories. And the reason is it communicates. Putting a a story to an object, connecting that thing to that thing so that they understand it better. And finally, examination or explanation, which means a piece of paper and a pencil and the drawing of pictures and the drawing of lines and things like that to communicate. Listen, in a communication process with a husband and a wife, there should always be a piece of paper and a pencil involved. Um, There should always be a schedule. Carolyn is also uh, uh, visible, I mean uh, visual. And uh, uh, if we're going to talk about budget, I can't just talk about budget with her. I have to give it to her on a piece of paper. And then we talk about it. And we go through it line by line. And she is happy as a lark. And all I care about is that she is happy as a lark. Happy, happy, happy. Good communication, someone has said, is depositing a part of yourself into another person. And we need to communicate well. Here's the fourth thing. Deal with your anger in a timely and healthy manner. Deal with your anger in a timely and healthy manner. And I guess maybe the reason that I give you this is because this has been the biggest problem in my life. I grew up angry. I grew up bitter. And I had the best teacher that there was on the planet at the time. And when I married Carolyn, I was still angry. And if you were to ask me, what does the spiritual growth in my life look like? I would tell you, it is God's 
leading me and teaching me to deal with my anger. Because I always got angry over the wrong things. There is a good kind of anger. When you and I get angry because of some moral injustice, as Jesus did when he went into the temple and overturned the money changers, there is a good kind of anger. But my kind of anger didn't fall into that category. And I can pretty much guarantee you that most of yours doesn't either. And we need to deal with anger in a way that doesn't threaten our family. I, I came to the horrible realization at one point early in our marriage that Carolyn was afraid of me. And I knew life had to change. So how do you deal with anger? Let's look at Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. And then in uh, Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, But now you must rid yourself of all such of the, of the things as these, anger, wrath, or rage, malice, slander, filthy communication out of your mouth. Notice that it starts in the emotion and ends in action. Remember Peter When they said, you're one of them, no, I'm not. You're one of them, no, I'm not. And finally he starts swearing because he's so angry. And and then in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul quotes from Psalm 4, 4. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, that should be. And do not give the devil a foothold. So I would give you five things. The first one is remember that a gentle word, gentleness, turns away anger. So if your kids are going to get angry in the room, somebody needs to be in the room who is gentle. And when I realized that had to be me, I realized I couldn't be angry at the same time. Secondly, agree that anger is sin, except for that one kind. Agree that when you get angry, angry and blow your stack and throw something, uh, it's sin. And once you understand that, try to understand how the other people feel. Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself inside of their skin. Remember, People will forget what you said. They will forget what you did. But they will never forget how you made them feel. So try to understand how they feel. And finally, admit your part in any offense. When you're going to deal with anger, admit your part. And finally, uh, seek forgiveness and wait for a response. I always had to say to Carolyn, honey, I did this Will you please forgive me? And let me tell you what. There's something about the the heart of a man that the more he has to humiliate himself, the less he'll want to do it. So the more I had to say, I did this, please forgive me. She would say, I forgive you. 
the less I wanted to do that again. And that became the solution that I had to deal with anger. Humiliate myself every time. It is wise to remember that anger is just one letter short of danger. So we should deal with anger in a significant way. Finally, be willing to give a meaningful touch to every member of your family. Um, We need to understand that our wives and our children want to be touched by us. So as leaders of our homes, we must discover how our wives and children like to be touched and then do it often. So I've already told you that Carolyn and I have been, uh, in fact, our family has been uh, a feely, touchy, kissy family. And uh, we've always, and, and you know, how you do this and when you do it will change as the kids get older. So uh, although my 45-year-old son still hugs me, Three years ago, we were at Disneyland. The whole family went to Disneyland. Spent a week at Disneyland. I love watching the grandkids at Disneyland. Uh, And uh, I'm walking down the street one day at Disneyland, and all of a sudden, I feel this hand slip into mine. I thought, who's that? And I turn, and there's my then 46-year-old daughter, wants to hold daddy's hand. And I thought, I pulled her over to me, and I said to her, it doesn't get any better than this. And the reason she wanted to do that is because she knew all through her life we would do that. And the result of that was it made my it made my day it made my week it made my year to think that my 46 year old daughter would still want to hold her daddy's hand her husband was there uh her kids were there but she has this same relationship with her own kids and her own husband and the beauty of that is is that they're watching So I've given you a little chart on your outline, guys, ladies. I've given you a little chart. And you can circle. Do you need work or are you doing well? And uh, look at honor, application, communication, anger, and touch. And if you're doing well, circle the eight, nines, and tens. But if you're not doing well, circle the one, twos, and threes. And uh, maybe then... Show that to your spouse and get some help in working on some of these issues. And then when you come to communion this morning, maybe you want to say to God, God, I need help in honoring my family. (coughs) Maybe you want to say to God, God, I knew I, I lost my temper yesterday. I need help with this anger issue. So, uh, get me through this. And, um, Not long ago, uh, 
a bunch of first graders were asked to um, draw a picture of God. And the teacher was walking around the room while they were drawing these pictures. And the one little girl drew a picture of a magnificent rainbow. And uh, one little boy drew a picture that looked like an old man coming out of the clouds. And another little boy drew a picture that was remarkably familiar and resembled Superman. And she came to this next little girl's desk, and there on the piece of paper was the picture of a man uh, standing in a field. And um, the teacher said, who's that? And the little girl looked up and said, I don't know what God looks like, so I just drew a picture of my daddy. And that is a brutal truth that our children, especially in the young years, will view God the way they view their daddy. So the best solution to that is for us daddies to be as close to God as we can get. Because the more we are like him, the more they will love him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're thankful this morning that the concept of father and son existed long before Adam was ever created. You are the supreme father. Jesus is the son. And you've interjected this whole triunity into the family and into the church. And we are thankful, Father, that you've given us the privilege to imitate you. So, Father, today, we pray that we will be willing to be honest with ourselves. And if we have to mark a place on the sheet that says we're not doing very well, to make some confessions, to make some determinations, to make some contacts to get help in those areas. And as we come to communion this morning, may we determine to be better dads, better moms in our families. And we will thank you for this. In Jesus' sweet name, amen.